Welcome to Education Matters presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Tom Williams. Nearly a quarter century after a state Supreme Court ruling known as Leandro reaffirmed North Carolina's constitutional duty to ensure all children have the opportunity to receive a sound basic education, our state continues to struggle to meet this constitutional obligation. On this week's episode, we'll explore the state and local school funding challenges that make it difficult to uniformly provide a high-quality education for every child, including those who are at risk or from rural and underserved communities. And we'll talk about how we might overcome these challenges as the Governor's Commission on Access to a Sound Basic Education prepares to present policymakers with a report detailing what needs to be done. We're fortunate to be joined today by two attorneys who work on school funding and equity issues at the state level, as well as the Granville County Board of Education Chairman and a Granville County Commissioner. Before we tackle our main issues tonight, we open with headlines, our quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Earlier this week, State Superintendent for Public Instruction, Mark Johnson, announced he will run for Lieutenant Governor in 2020. Johnson is nearing the end of serving only one term as state superintendent, having succeeded longtime state superintendent June Atkinson in 2016. His tenure as state superintendent has been marked by controversies and a battle for power over North Carolina's public schools. Governor Cooper has vetoed the latest Republican-led proposal for teacher pay raises, citing the 3.9 percent increases that would come over a two-year period as inadequate. The governor said he wants to continue negotiating with the General Assembly to come to a compromise on teacher raises, noting that he had proposed salary increases of 9.1 percent in his two-year budget proposal. The State Board of Education unveiled a new strategic plan this month that centers on equity and addressing the needs of the whole child. The board's three new goals to accomplish by 2025 are eliminate opportunity gaps between students, improve school and district performance, and increase education preparedness to meet the needs of every child. Remember, you can visit the Public Schools Forum website at ncforum.org, click Education Matters, and read more about each of the headlines as well as other topics we cover each week. I'd like to first welcome Mark DeRosen, an attorney, a managing attorney with the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, and Matt Ellenwood, Director of the Education and Law Center at the North Carolina Justice Center. Thanks for joining us, gentlemen. It's nice to be here. We appreciate you being here. And Matt, um, as an education attorney uh, with the North Carolina Justice Center, you're very familiar with school funding issues and Leandro. Give us a quick rundown on what and who uh, you see with Leandro is why this case continues to be an important issue. Well, sure. I think the right to have our children attend free public schools is something that we all see as a fundamental right. It's something that I think a lot of us take as a given, maybe even take for granted. Um, it's a right that doesn't live in the U.S. Constitution. It lives in the North Carolina Constitution. Uh, so Leandro is really our landmark case, as you mentioned, from over 20 years ago, um, that interprets that provision of the, the provisions of the Constitution that guarantee that right for our children. Um, it's incredibly important. I think it, it also recognizes that in order to get the opportunity to ha receive a sound basic education that you mentioned for all children, that resources matter. That we have to have qual highly qualified teachers, principals, and we have to have the financial resources needed to support the instructional program in each in all of our schools. Um, so, you know, the reason why this case has been dragging on for so long is you know, it was our system was declared unconstitutional in the original case 
and it's unconstitutional today. And I think the reason why we're seeing it become a bigger issue now is that the state really has backtracked on a lot of its financial commitments <clears throat> over the last decade, and we're seeing that manifest in um, really w after a period of where we, our schools were doing really well and had you know progress wasn't as fast as it needed to be, but we had progress in eliminating achievement gaps and improving performance overall. We've seen that. We've backslid to the point where um, achievement gaps are actually growing now and overall performance is either stagnating or declining. Mark, thank you also for being on the show. Um, I understand you've been involved with Leandro litigation since about 2008. And um, as we kind of close in on the end of 2019 calendar year, uh, it's a critical time in the history of uh, this landmark case. Tell us a bit about what entities have been working in the last three months on the Leandro case and what's about to happen. Sure. Well, the Leandro case, as you know, and as Matt said, has been going on, you know, over 20 years now. Um, we got involved in 2008. We intervened on behalf of several students and the Charlotte Mecklenburg NAACP. Um, and the case, um, you know, the, the last Supreme Court ruling in 2004, which said that the state was failing to provide a sound basic education. Uh, since that time, there have been a series of hearings, uh, interim hearings, um, where the state was supposed to be coming up with uh, a remedy for its constitutional failure. And um, what we found in those interim hearings was um, that the state did not have a plan. There was some success in the early years, as Matt mentioned, um, but in more recent years, we've seen this backsliding. Um, the case had been stagnant for a long time. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, a new judge was appointed. Judge David Lee was appointed after Judge Howard Manning resigned, retired. Um, and Judge Lee, um, was re-engaged in the case and, and was interested in seeing it move forward. So um, a little over a year ago, a year and a half ago, um, with the agreement of the, all the parties, the plaintiff school districts, the state board of ed and the state uh, and our clients, the interveners, um, agreed to hire an expert consultant, a court-appointed expert, to really do a comprehensive study of education in North Carolina what was happening and whether, in fact, the state was providing a sound basic education. And also, uh, if it was not, what it would take, what, what the resources would require to, to meet that constitutional obligation. Uh, an education consulting firm called WestEd was retained. WestEd spent a little over a year studying the issue. Um, and their final report was just issued to the court in early October. Um, uh, the judges. That report is under seal for 60 days. The judge is giving the parties a chance to review it, uh, to assess it. And we believe in the next month or two, um, the judge is going to hold a hearing on, um, mm -hmm. on the report and, and hopefully issue an order as to what the next step should be. Excellent. Um, Matt, please explain a bit more about the equity uh, piece of all of this and why school funding is such a serious struggle for our low wealth districts in particular and how our state lawmakers failed to remedy uh, the court case. I think one of the great things about this state and our constitution is that the framers recognized that education was incredibly important and that the state needed to play a major role in providing that education across the state. And it's because we have a lot of variation in our tax bases across the state. And you know, we have metro areas that are growing where a lot of, there's a lot of job growth, there's higher incomes. Um, at the same time that's happened, and I think that's masked some of the losses we've had in rural areas. Populations are declining. We have job losses there um, and lower wages. So a lot of area, counties across the state, and this has been true throughout our history, lack the resources to, to run sc adequate schools and, and historically to open schools at all. 
Um, so there's, there's always been this emphasis placed on the state to make sure that we provide um, an equitable education across from different, all these different communities. So in order to kind of make up for not only the different funding capacities, but also the characteristics of different students. D students have different needs if you're a student with a disability or an English learner um, or a student from a low-income community, you're going to need different supports than children who are from more affluent communities and have different supports at home and things like that and don't have some of those same challenges. So it's not enough to just sort of have equal funding across the state. We need to have funding that's giving everyone a that actual opportunity to compete on an equal basis in college and career. So I think it's really important that the state has made that commitment historically, um, but it's be you know the, as we've seen funding declines over the past decade, those, those declines fall harder on our rural areas, on our low wealth communities, because again, they lack the, t the local resources to make up for the shortfalls that, are, for shortfalls that are being created by the state. Very good, thanks. Um, Mark, no doubt when the court appointed report comes back, third party researchers, there'll be some specific recommendations and probably some target fundings, uh, targets that we expect. What's your hope for this report and resulting actions on the part of the state's leaders? Well, my hope, and I think the hope of all the parties, is that what we're going to get from this report, and, and hopefully then in an order from Judge Lee, is real specific factual findings on the deficiencies and also specific recommendations on, on not just how much money is going to be needed to address those deficiencies, but as Matt pointed out, um, how to equitably allocate those resources so that the the communities, the school districts, and the schools themselves um, that have the highest needs will get the will be the highest priorities in those funding um, in those funding recommendations. Yeah. And we've been, you know, the the governor has this commission that he's appointed on uh, ensuring a sound basic education. And so we think with this with this independent report that's going to have this kind of detailed analysis, we'll really be able to. Hopefully, all the parties will be able to come together and really push to identify that, the, that funding and to allocate it in a way that meets the, the, the needs and priorities identified. Thank you. Matt, there are implications for this report and its recommendations that are important, not just for school funding, uh, but for the health of our state's economy and generally speaking. Why should North Carolinians care so much about school funding and the equity of it? I mean, the, the economic repercussions are really astronomical. I mean, when you look at a lot of our communities, our public schools are often the best thing going in those communities. They really are the hubs of, the, of, our, of particularly our rural areas. Um, they're, they're the places that people go for all sorts of activities. They're incredibly important. And when we're talking about something like school funding, what we really mean is people. The overwhelming majority of funding goes to support various positions, not just teachers, librarians, nurses, therapists, psychologists. So these are really important jobs that people have. Um, and, and they can really drive economic development. You know, the potential of putting a lot of money into something like our school system could really help in some of these areas, as I mentioned, that have experienced population losses and job losses and things like that. Um, but really, the, the real multiplier of all of that is that as you get higher levels of educational attainment, that leads to higher incomes for children. Um, so all those positions not only help your community, but they're also supporting outcomes for children and lead to, to really significant economic benefits, and particularly for things like early childhood that's yeah. a support for working families. It's been fascinating speaking with you this evening, and we'll look forward to seeing you again soon, and uh, we'll be staying updated. Thank you so much. After a brief commercial break, we'll be back to continue our discussion with local leaders from Granville County. But first, see if you can answer this question. Which of the following is required in order for North Carolina to fulfill its constitutional obligation to ensure all children 
have the opportunity to receive a sound basic education. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer D, all of the above? In 2002, a lower court found the state to be in violation of the student's right to a sound basic education and ordered these three provisions as a way to remedy that violation. Yet to this day, the state has not been found to live up to its constitutional obligation by ensuring that all children have access to competent, well-trained teachers and principals and equal access to a sound basic education. Joining us now, are Tom Houlihan and the chairman of the Board of Education in Granville County and Tony Cozart of Granville County Commissioner. Uh, Dr. Houlihan, let's start with you as chairman of the Granville County Board of Education. You see and hear firsthand every day the challenges your schools and district face when it comes to the level of state investment in your county schools over time. Can you give us a sense of what you're seeing and hearing from your community as to their expectations for your schools? Our community has two basic uh, expectations. First, that every child will graduate with the skills and knowledge to move on to college or to work or the service and so forth. The second one is, is safety. And we know that safety has been a real issue around this country. Uh, our frustration are, are, is the fact that because we're a relatively rural, uh, low wealth kind of a, uh, of a community, we just don't have the resources to be able to provide things like additional counselors and social workers and folks of that nature to be able to make to be able to give the kind of quality education we want to give. Good. Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Cozart. Um, based on our public school forms uh, local school finance study, over the past few decades, we know that <coughs> Granville County um, commissioners have consistently provided local funding at a level above its ability to pay, as we state in the study. Um, as a community leader and county commissioner, why do you think this is and how does it align with your citizens and fellow commissioners' expectations for investing in quality public schools, both for facilities as well as for learning programs? I am so proud of our citizens and our board in Granville County both the current and the previous Board of Commissioners have always made education a priority. In fact, we have passed local bond referendums. We allocate 33% of our budget to education. The citizens support us in this because they understand the significance of all of our students having an opportunity to have a great education. And I'm just happy to say that when we look at priorities, education always rises to the top. So to all who have invested in our students, uh, to our students who are out to get their education, I hope they understand they have a very education-friendly community, both the elected officials as well as the citizens in our county. Excellent. Um, so this question is to the both of you, so I'll let you decide who you want to step up first on it. Um, so the working relationship between the county commissioners and the school board can be, let's say, complex at times due to the unique charge of both boards publicly. How do you see your boards handling this, and what do you see as your key success factors in serving the students, parents, uh, teachers, and the larger community? I have found that uh, we have a very good working relationship with our um, Board of Education. One of the things the board has done uh, 
historically with us, they have given us good information. They have been very fair and honest in what they need. And they have communicated those needs to the community. When we have had differences, uh, we have been uh, very professional, talk about those things um, behind the scenes. And I think we have been able to come forth with good, realistic expectations as to what we can do uh, for our schools. So I'm very proud of that relationship. Uh, I have been a part of the liaison committee to work directly with our Board of Education and the administration. And through that process, we have been able to be, to work harmoniously and be very proactive in things that we see coming, things that we need right now, and also how we can fund those things in a reasonable manner. Good, good. So Dr. Houlihan, as you know, the first two of the three-pronged requirements of Leandro is for every student in the state to have a right to access competent, certified, well-trained teachers and principals. Um, what do you see as the key challenges facing your schools and district, and what thoughts do you have on how the state can best meet their constitutional requirement in your local district? I think we struggle more than anything else with the idea of a competent, certified, well-trained uh, teacher. We all know that teacher, the teachers are key and because we're next to Wake County and Durham County, who pay significantly higher supplements than, than we do, we're constantly struggling to, to uh, find the teachers and to have the teachers stay with us over the, over the time frame. It's a real challenge, right? we're, no doubt about it. The idea of a competent principal is absolutely critical. You know, the old saying, as the principal goes, so goes the school, is so true. And having programs uh, that meet the needs and are, are more than just the same old, same old uh, makes a critical, critical difference. Dr. Cozart, um, the third prong, as you know, uh, requirement of the state is for every child to have access uh, to the resources necessary for an effective instructional program. Um, as a county commissioner in a low-wealth um, communities like yours, how do you see the state better supporting local school systems to create a more equitable educational opportunity for students um, to comply with the sound basic education constitutional requirement? We're going to have to be very realistic as to where we are. In order to provide a good education for many of our students, we are going to have to do more in providing wraparound services. Some of our students will need more social work support. Some will need more counseling support. Our parents need guidance and training. Mm -hmm. We have to look at this from really a three-pronged approach. Our students need to be ready, our parents need to be ready, and also our schools need to have the kind of resources, both physical as well as the support staff, in order to provide for our students. Uh, we are at a point in time now where, in many cases, the demographics in our schools are changing. That is going to require more support to help some of our students who have challenging needs, but those needs can be met only with adequate support from staff and with resources. So we have about a minute left, so I'm going to come to Dr. Houlihan and then give uh, the county commissioner the closing thought on this question. Um, what would you say are your highest hopes for Granville County and North Carolina as these critical recommendations um, from the Governor's Commission on a Sound Basic Education as well as their partner WestEd comes um, 
comes in play in the next couple of weeks when uh, we're expecting them to be issued. Highest hopes. I hope that every child in Granville County has the same opportunities as my grandchildren do in another public school in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. If they had the same kind of opportunities, uh, the sky's the limit. Excellent. Dr. Kozar, final thought. Giving all of our students a great chance at having a good education is for the common good. It's going to be in all of our interests, economically, safety in our communities, to educate our students the best we can. And I just hope we all come together, utilize all resources to make that happen. Yeah. Well, when you look at the governor's <clears throat> uh, commission's recommendations, certainly early childhood and other things that are fundamental to what happens once the student gets to school are critical. Thank you both so very much for being with us this evening, and we appreciate you coming in and sharing uh, your insights with us. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you. After this break, this week's final word. Numbers and data mean a lot in today's environment, but most of the time it's the context of the data that helps us best understand how it impacts our everyday lives. 1,256,682. That's the number of North Carolina public high school graduates between the years 2004 and 2018. These public school alumni from across North Carolina have gone on to attend college, serve in the military, and enter the workforce during a time when the state has failed to meet its constitutional obligation to provide every child a sound basic education, which was reaffirmed in the landmark 1997 state Supreme Court decision, Leandro versus the state of North Carolina. It's now been nearly a quarter century since that Supreme Court ruling, and the public school forum believes we should have done more to better prepare those one point to 5 million North Carolinians to meet the demands of the 21st century. Our opinion, of course, is rooted in data. If our state had taken stronger action to ensure that every student, regardless of their zip code, receive a sound basic education, we not see today's immense gaps across our 100 counties in terms of wealth and educational opportunity and attainment. Our research has found that North Carolinians living in lower wealth school districts face substantially greater financial burdens to support public education while at the same time finding that their schools are more poorly resourced than those in wealthier counties. Our efforts to mitigate these problems have been woefully inadequate, and our children bear the negative educational consequences of our failure to comply with our constitutional, ethical, and moral obligation to do so. But it's not too late. With this next phase of the Leandro litigation, we're hopeful as the Governor's Commission on a Sound Basic Education and its court-appointed research partner, WestEd, will bring recommendations to our state leaders that clearly spell out what needs to be done to lay a new foundation for our state that ensures a brighter future for its children. No doubt, it will be a huge undertaking, warranting major changes in public policies, programs, and the additional human, technical, and financial resources needed to achieve those goals. This will be one of the most significant public policy opportunities of our generation, shaping what our great state's workforce and citizenry will look like in the decades ahead. It won't be done overnight, but rather will require a long-term shared vision and commitment to building a stronger foundation, one child at a time, for the future of North Carolina. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>